Thank you for listening to Sermon Audio from Hill City Church in Springfield, Missouri. We are a community of believers who exist to glorify God by making disciples who bring gospel restoration to our city and world. For more information about Hill City or to support our ministry, you can find us online at hillcitysgf.org. One day he got into a boat with his disciples and he said to them, Let us go across to the other side of the lake. So they set out, and as they sailed, he fell asleep. And a windstorm came down on the lake, and they were filling with water and were in danger. And they went and woke him, saying, Master, Master, we are perishing. And he awoke and rebuked the wind and the raging waves, and they ceased, and there was a calm. He said to them, Where is your faith? And they were afraid, and they marveled, saying to one another, Who then is this, that he commands even winds and water, and they obey him? Good. Thank you, Sarah. Let's pray real quick. We'll dive into this. God, you are uh, so good to us. We celebrate what you do in the hearts of men and women today. Um, God, we, we ask you to continue to invade hearts. If anybody walked in here today and their heart was hard, Lord, soften it and invade it. Teach us something from Luke today. It's your name I pray, amen. So pretty common story we're diving in today. Um, you probably maybe heard it. It was like, he, I don't know what the heck he cried about. Uh, we've got to ask ourselves, why is this even in the Bible? Why this story? What's the primary reason this story was written? I want, and I think we'll get to it. But we're going to have to take a couple laps through the passage. Okay, so we start with the scene. We're on, a, on this sea. You guys are familiar with this Sea of Galilee, okay? And Jesus was tired. He needed some rest. So he, he really just needed a break from all the people. Okay, some of you are like, yeah, I, I get that. Um, so he gets his guys. He's like, let's go to the other side. Let's go to the other side of the lake. And then in verse 23, we read of this storm that blows up, this windstorm. Now, we have to learn about this windstorm, and, and I'm no weatherman, but it was kind of interesting reading about this sea and, and this storm. So this sea is set in the hills of northern Israel, okay? It's the Sea of Galilee. It's 700 feet below sea level. It's nearly eight miles wide at its widest point, and it's about 12 miles long north to south. And there are places where it gets to 200 feet deep. Now, here's the deal. The sea's location makes it suspect or subject to sudden violent storms all right there are mountainous uh, there are mountains to the east of this lake okay um and then it suddenly drops to go way below sea level and storms are especially likely when you have those eastern winds that will blow over the mountains and it's cold air and you guys that know uh, you, you like, there are weather people here, I'm sure, but like the cold air comes over the mountains and it drops really hard and then the hot air rises, right? And that causes some horrible, nasty storms. These would happen often on the Sea of Galilee. Furious storms in a short time. Now, the storm we read about here is a heck of a storm. And I believe it was even worse than the normal storms that were created uh, due to the atmosphere. And there's a reason I believe that. See, most of these guys on this boat were seasoned lakers. 
right? We live in lake country, got a lot of people go to the lake all the time. You know what you're doing on the lake. These guys knew what they were doing on the lake. There were multiple professional fishermen on this boat. And it scared them to death. So bad that in verse 24, we see that they go in and they wake up Jesus, who was asleep. He was tired. And Jesus stands up and he rebukes, Luke says, he rebukes the wind and the waves. Storm immediately quits. Sea immediately calm. How many been on Table Rock Lake, right? And that water just turns to glass, right? Sunset, it's, just, it's a beautiful thing. It's a beautiful thing. Okay, storm, scared to death they're going to die, that, at the word of Jesus. Now Mark, you can read this account in Mark uh, also in chapter 4, I'm going to turn back over there. In Mark chapter 4, he actually gives us a little bit more detail uh, on the way he describes this storm. Mark chapter 4 and verse 38 Talking about Jesus, he was in the stern asleep on a cushion, and they woke him, and they said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? And he awoke and rebuked the wind, and he said, Peace, be still. And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. So it's not that Jesus rebukes it. Mark tells us how he rebukes it. He says, Peace, be still. Now, remember the question that they asked Jesus. We're going to come back to it. They came to Jesus and said, hey, do you not care that we are perishing? Just log that. Log that. And Jesus rebukes the wind. Now, let's talk a little bit about, about rebuke, okay? So rebuke is what you do to something or someone beneath you in authority, so I'm going to show you, give you a couple examples, these may be true or untrue, on how rebuke plays itself out in the Lot's house, okay? So, so here we go, ready? Like, boys, boys, no, you cannot pee right there. You can never pee right there. It's rebuke, okay? Here's, here's one, may or may not be true, you, you, know, you all know this one's true. Like, no, Clementine, you can never cut your sister's hair. Ever again, you can't cut your brother's hair, you can't cut your own hair, ever. That's rebuke. Jesus stands up in this boat and he talks to the weather like I talk to my kids. Just think about that. Peace, be still, he says. Now, interesting, so in the, in the language that this was written in, the word used there was actually a verb of continuing action. And the only reason I'm telling you that is because basically here's what Jesus told the storms to do. Be quiet and stay quiet. In one word. Be quiet, stay quiet. A verb of continuing, continuing action. And when he said it, the wind and the waves obeyed him. He spoke obedience. Then we get to verse 25. The disciples witness this. And it leads them to ask, man, who 
is this, that the wind and the waves obey him. Now, what's funny up to this point, the disciples had seen multiple miracles. This wasn't the first thing that could have put them in awe. Now, here is the key. None of the previous miracles directly affected them. Oh, there's a person that's dead. I'm not dead. They're dead. He made them alive. Awesome. Oh, there's a person who can't see. I can see. Oh, he gave them sight. Awesome. This is the first miracle where the disciples are like, man, I, I, I'm helpless. See, it directly affected them. Jesus calms the storm, and he ultimately saved them from drowning. And they're led to ask the question, who is this? It was the one who calms the storms. He's the one who calms the storms. So now is the time in the sermon where I'm supposed to dive into the part about Jesus calming the storm on this sea just by the power of his word. And in the same way he can calm the storm that you are currently in upon the sea of life. The storm of your life, like this is where I'm supposed to step in and tell you about Jesus speaking that storm to be quiet. Just, right? Who, who, who's expecting that? Just, just help me out here. Sure, come on, right? Now that preaches. And that makes for probably like even a good gospel song. But the problem with diving into that narrative is in verse 25. Let's go back. Let's go back to Luke 8, verse 25. I'm going to read it. I'm going to let it sit. He said to them, where is your faith? And they were afraid. Okay, let's go, to, let's go to Mark's account. I'm going to read that, and I think it'll click. Mark chapter 4, and he said to them, why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? And they were filled with great fear and said to one another, who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? Present tense, why are you so afraid? Did you catch that? The disciples were more fearful after the storm was calmed. Their fear increased. You see, they were on a boat with Jesus, and in Jesus, in that moment, the disciples became aware of something more powerful and more massive than this raging storm. They knew 
that they had to be on a boat with God. See, Jews had this belief that only God held the power to calm storms. Because here's the deal, I told you, there were miracles that had happened before. There were miracles in the Old Testament, guys. Plenty of them. Here are some examples. Prophets called fire down from heaven. Anybody see that this week? Like men were healed of leprosy in the Old Testament. A person was raised from the dead in the Old Testament. A bunch of people were fed with not very many loaves of bread in the Old Testament. Never was the weather controlled in the Old Testament outside of somebody other than God. Jews held a strong and right belief that God alone could calm storms. You could read this all throughout the Psalms in Psalm 69, uh, Psalms 89, Psalms 107. Here's, you, in some ancient writings, in some ancient writings, there was a story of a prophet who claimed to calm a storm and he was charged with blasphemy. And it didn't go well for him post-blasphemy. Like, they killed him. It was a big deal to claim that you could calm storms. That was only something God could do. Now here we have a boat filled with Jewish guys who would have held that belief. And they knew in that moment when Jesus told the storm, be quiet and stay quiet. And the storm and the sea immediately obeyed. They knew in that moment they were in the presence of God. Now hear this, the only thing more frightening than the threat of death from the wildest, maddest, most raging storm is to find yourself in the presence of the one who calms that storm. Like I don't want us to see God this morning as this angry, mean guy, like ready to strike. But I also think that sometimes we're guilty of this made-up Jesus. Sometimes I think our made-up Jesus is more known to like go on long walks on the beach with teenage girls. Or like stroll hand in hand with soccer moms through flower gardens. Sometimes I think we see our Jesus more like a bro that's going to give us financial advice. More like a boyfriend or girlfriend. Or dare I say homeboy. This story is written down to show us that Jesus did what only God could do. He spoke. It obeyed. Listen, Jesus did not pray to the Father in this moment. He prayed to the Father a lot. He did not pray to the Father in this moment and say, Father, calm this storm. He didn't have to. He spoke, and immediately the wind and the waves obeyed him. How could this be? 
You ready for this? It wasn't the first time that the sea heard his voice. There's a book of the Bible that starts out with these words, in the beginning. Where might that be found? Shout it out. Ah, see, I got you. You're right. But there's another book of the Bible that starts out with, in the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. That's John. In the beginning was the Word, capital W, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Now let's go to the other, in the beginning of Genesis. How did God create? He spoke. He said, exist. And it existed. When God created, it was with his word. Now you go to 1 John, chapter 1, verse 14, it says, And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, the glory as of the only Son of the Father, full of grace and truth. The Son of God was active in creation. When the Word spoke and told the sea to exist, the sea obeyed. And then thousands of years later, the sea and the storm recognized the only voice that it ever knew, the voice of its creator, the Son of God, the Word. That is what this story is primarily about. The glory and the greatness of Jesus. That's why God inspired people to write this down. The glory and the greatness of the disciples had not witnessed the glory and greatness of Jesus until this moment. Maybe they witnessed it, but they didn't grasp it until this moment. And that's why we cannot read this story and immediately go to, well, Jesus will calm the storms of your life. And then you guys will run off drinking slushies together after he does it. Now, there's a subplot. There is. Like, we can be involved in this story. But Daniel said this many times. We, we try our best to, to have you guys do this. Like, when you, when you go to the Bible, we have a tendency to open up Scripture, right, and to assign ourselves like the leading role. The feature role. Jesus gets that. Jesus always gets that role. But we are involved. We can be involved. There is a subplot. And we are the desperate deprived and panicky disciples. And they asked a very harsh and unkind question to Jesus in the middle of that storm. Remember, I told you, don't forget what they asked Jesus. They went to Jesus. They said, do you not care? I've asked Jesus if he cares or not. Anybody else guilty of that? 
go back to Mark. Let's go back to Mark's account. I know we're in Luke, but it's, it's the same. Let's go back to Mark's account because I want to point something out. Mark chapter 4. And he records it. Teacher, do you not care? Here's what we must see in this story. The very reason they were on the boat being led into a storm that didn't surprise Jesus at all, the very reason they were going there was because Jesus cared. He created an opportunity for them. He wanted them to see His glory. You've got to remember, up until now, they'd seen a bunch of miracles, but they had not grasped the fullness of His glory. So He says, let's go, let's go to the other side. Get on a boat, let's go to the other side. And a storm comes. Okay, Jesus said, we're going to the other side. And a storm comes. I'll just break this up into third. A storm comes. A storm comes. A storm comes. True Christians should not expect smooth sailing all the time. There's no promise of this in Scripture. If you've been told or promised or been told that God will promise you smooth sailing, whoever told you that, either they, they, did, they didn't even understand what they were saying, but if you, it's, it's not true. It's, it's actually unloving to tell you that. There's no promise of smooth sailing. Now there are promises. Yes, there are promises. Free grace. I'm taking that one to the bank. Full forgiveness of sins, past, present, and future. I'm taking that one to the bank. That's a promise. Like the righteousness of Jesus covering me. There's a promise. Eternal life, that's a promise. But not smooth sailing. God loves us too well to make our lives void of all affliction. Affliction is how we learn invaluable lessons. Lessons like how weak we are without Jesus. Affliction teaches us lessons like how empty we are without Jesus. It's through afflictions that we are drawn to God. It's through afflictions that we are pointed to His grace. The psalmist writes in Psalms chapter 119, 71, It is good for me that I was afflicted. Lord, may I get to that point where I can say that. It is good for me that I was afflicted, that I might learn your statutes. Hear me, Jesus still leads people who love him, 
with all of their heart, with all of their soul, with all their mind, and with all their strength, he still leads those people into storms. And one day you and I will thank him for those. It doesn't make sense right now. And at times we're going to be tempted to ask, don't you care? And Jesus, don't you care? At times it's going to seem like he's sleeping. But we must let this miracle point us to the great truth that God is sovereign over every storm. They made it to the other side because that's where Jesus said they were going. They made it to the other side. This miracle assures us of Jesus' care. It assures us that we know that he who began a good work in us will bring it to completion. This miracle assures us of that. This is great. This is so great. Like, like, come on, for real. Think peace, be still, and it will be. That's phenomenal. Even in this story, even in this truth, inspired by the Holy Spirit, putting down on pages of Scripture, even in this, Jesus has given us a more remarkable reason to know that he cares. See, this, this storm on the Sea of Galilee must point us to a greater storm. Because Jesus came, yeah, he came and calmed that storm, but he came to calm an even greater storm. The storm of God's just, righteous, and holy wrath. The storm of the cross. That's where this miracle should point us. I got a quote. It's going to be up on the slide. This blew me away. This, this is the crying part. Jesus was thrown in the only storm that could actually sink us. The storm of eternal justice of what we owe for our wrongdoing. And the storm was not calmed until it swept him away. If the sight of Jesus 
bowing his head into that ultimate storm is burned to the core of your being, you will never say again, God, don't you care. Is it burned here? Is, is the sight of that ultimate storm and Jesus taking it all, the cup of God's wrath dumped on his head, if the, is it seared right here? So we come to the table every week, very intentionally. And if you're visiting here, I just want to, let me explain how this works at Hill City Church. Scott mentioned it. We rehearse the gospel here every single Sunday. And we start, always start with God and the glory of God and who He is. And when we see God in that light, then and only then are we able to even see us for who we are and our sin. So we sing songs about God's glory, then we sing songs about our need for a Savior, and then we go to the cross and we sing songs like, all my hope is in Jesus. And see, the gospel always demands a response. So we come to the table to be reminded of Jesus willingly enduring the ultimate storm, and here it is, on your behalf, and on my behalf. The most important thing you'll ever do in your life comes alongside of what you do with the very same question that the disciples asked at the end of this passage. Who is this that the wind and the waves obey him? Do you know who it is? What you believe the answer is to that question is the most important thing about you.